Good morning. My name is Wade. I'm uh, one of the pastors here along with Pastor Jesse. And we are going through a series in the book of First Peter. So if you have your Bibles or look behind me, um, or if you're outside, it's in your bulletin. Let's read from First Peter, verses 22 in chapter 1 to chapter 3 of verse 2 of chapter 2. Uh, 1, 22 to 2, 3. Listen to God's word. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Chapter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of God. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever tried to like something? Have you ever tried to like something? Have you ever tried to get into something? I have tried to get into jogging. I know that some of you guys are into exercise. Some of you guys like to run. Um, some of you guys run regularly, which is weird to me. Um, I know it's good, but I, I've tried to like jogging before. When I go to the gym, I'll walk on the treadmill. I don't really run on it. Run on it. But uh, there was a season when I tried to run regularly, and you know what I found is I thought I wouldn't like it. And after trying this thing called jogging, I still didn't like it because when I run. My goal is to just not die. That's jogging for me. And I know that some of you guys, if you guys ever run, those that do run, you have this thing called runner's high. I have no idea what that feels like because I've never gone far enough to experience it. Or maybe my body just doesn't, is incapable of feeling it. But have, have you ever tried something that you knew you, sh- you should like? For you, it might be some sort of physical activity. Um, it might be some show on Netflix that everyone is talking about. Or maybe something that you know you should be doing. Like, you should be eating vegetables. You should be eating healthy. And you've tried to do that. Today, we're going to be talking about doing something that doesn't come natural. Things that we know are good and proper, but they might feel foreign to us. And like I mentioned earlier, we've been going through this book of First Peter. Um, and last week we looked at Peter's call to the believer to live a life of holiness. And to be holy is more than just living a morally right lifestyle. Holiness is primarily about being set apart by God for the purposes of God. And this makes sense in the overall theme of First Peter. We've been saying that the, the, the theme of First Peter is um, one of exile. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are an exile. To be an exile is to be out of place in this world. It's knowing that this world is not our true home. That the values of this world are not the values that drive us. And we know that we'll never be totally comfortable and at peace here. Because we weren't meant to feel comfortable and at peace here. And if you are a follower of Jesus, then we... If you are in exile and your eyes are fixed on your true home and your true king. And that's what we looked at last week. 
And this week, we look at the continuation of Peter's teachings on the life as an exile. Um, As we look at this passage, we're going to look at these two commands, these two calls for us as a holy people, as an exile. What does our life look like? In today's passage, it gives us two commands, love and longing, to love others and to long for what Peter calls spiritual milk. And if it's helpful for you to have a, spirit, a, a kind of a mental roadmap of where we're going, this is what it looks like. Um, what love and longing are, that's the first thing we're going to talk about. The second thing is why we should want it, or what our lives would look like, or what if our lives looked like a life marked by love and longing. And finally, how do we become a people who love others and long for the spiritual milk? So the first thing, what is it? Verse 22 of chapter 1. Peter says this, it begins with a statement. It says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. So this is past tense. Peter says, past tense, your souls have been purified. And this is what is true of those who are reading Paul's letter, Peter's letter. And the test of whether or not your souls have been purified is whether or not you obey the truth that's been revealed to you. And if this is what is true of you, if you have really received the truth, your soul has, it means that your soul has been purified. And therefore, this is what your life should look like. There should be sincere and brotherly love. This is the commands. Loving others within pure hearts and earnest hearts. And this is something that we hear often in church, outside of church, and we're, our culture is driven by this idea of love, is it not? You should love your neighbor. You should love the people that you don't agree with. You should love yourself. This is what we hear. But what is love? What is love? Listen to this description of love from the, the theologian Richard Niebuhr. Uh, it's kind of an extended description of love. Love is rejoicing over the existence of the beloved one. It is the desire that he be rather than not be. It is longing for his presence when he is absent. It is happiness in the thought of him. It is profound satisfaction over everything that makes him great and glorious. Love is gratitude. It is thankfulness for the existence of the beloved. It is the happy acceptance of everything that he gives without the jealous feeling. It is a gratitude that does not seek equality. It is wonder over the other's gift of himself in companionship. He's talking about love for someone else. This is a very uh, evocative description. Let me, let me continue on. Love is reverence. It keeps its distance as it draws near. It does not seek to absorb the other in the self or want to be absorbed by it. It rejoices in the otherness of the other. It desires to, it desires the beloved to be what he is and does not seek to refashion him into a replica of the self or to make him a means to the self's advancement. In all such love, there is an element of that holy fear, which is not a form of flight, but rather a deep respect for the otherness of the beloved and a profound unwillingness to violate his integrity. And finally, he ends with this. Love is loyalty. It is the willingness to let the self be destroyed rather that he, rather than that the other cease to be. It is the commitments of the self by self-binding will to make the other great. A lot of words, but what is he saying? He's saying 
you as someone who is capable of love, you have this object that you love. You call it your beloved. And as he talks about this love for this other person, he talks about restricting yourself and binding yourself, thinking of the other person more than you think of yourself, wanting the other person to be more of who he or she is than you yourself are. And that's intense. Richard Niebuhr is not the only one to describe love like this. More succinctly, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. You've heard this before. Let me read this to you. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endears all things, and love never ends. This is... A description of what love is. And doesn't it sound so inspiring? Doesn't it sound so beautiful? And don't you wish that you were loved like this? But have you ever tried to love someone like that? Because loving someone is really hard. Now you might say that you love someone. You might say... You love someone because they have attractive qualities. You might feel drawn to someone because they're related to you. Either your children, your spouse, or your friends, um, your brothers, sisters. You might feel drawn to them. You might have positive thoughts about someone because you have common interests. And they're nice, or they're fun to be around. And we, we might say that, I love this person because these things are true of my relationship of them. Except that all these things can exist outside of love. Love does not come natural to us because love is hard. Love is an action of the will, ultimately. As the singer Andrew Peterson sings, love is not a feeling in your chest. It is bending down to wash another's feet. It is faithful when the sun is in the west and in the east. Love is intentional. It is difficult. It's giving of yourself over and over and over when it's painful and inconvenient, when it causes suffering. And this is the type of love that Peter speaks of. Peter says that the way to love, the way to love is to do it sincerely. He uses this word sincerely very intentionally. The word sincere in the Greek, it, it, it's referring to something called, uh, or, or, um, a, a, um, an idea in arts. It means without wax, without wax. And what it refers to is this, that there were some artists who would, they'd create some type of statue out of stone or marble. And if there was a piece missing or if there was a piece broken, they would replace it sometimes with wax, which would look like the original um, material. And this was a way for them to pass off their, their work of art, saying this is 100% genuine. Um, it looks genuine. It, 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 it might appear, if you look at it closely, it might even seem like it's the real thing. But it's not real stone. It's not real marble. It's wax. It's really incomplete. And you're trying to pass it off as something it's not. And Peter's saying, when he says love sincerely, he's saying this. He says, let your love be without wax. It means let your love be true and genuine. What you see is what you get. 
And when you hear Peter's description of love, when he says love with a sincere and brotherly love, ask yourself this, do you really love others like this? And I kind of hate that Peter says this. I hate that Peter says love someone sincerely and with a brotherly love. Because when I look at my own heart and my own mind, what I can see is that I do things with ulterior motives. When I look at my own heart and my own mind, I see that I do things out of obligation sometimes rather than true affection. I do things because I'm supposed to do them, not because I want to do them. I do things with a bad attitude. Is this true of you? I can go through the motions of loving someone, but to feel love for the other person, to truly want what is best for them, that type of love to me is really, really hard. It's almost impossible. Paul, or Peter, he goes on in verse 1 of chapter 2. This is what this sincere looks like, sincere love looks like. He says, put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Malice is this desire for harm toward another person. You want to see them fail. You want to see them hurt. You want to see them deprived of good things. That's malice. Deceit. You're not being forthcoming with others. Hypocrisy. There's this insincerity. You're harboring this ill will towards someone while you do good for them out of obligation. You might feel resentment toward them. Envy. You're jealous of them. You don't want them to have what they have. You want it for yourself. Slander. You speak ill of them. This is Peter's description of love. Can you do all these things without malice or envy or deceit or hypocrisy or slander? One commentator writing about this passage, he says this, Peter is clearly instructing us to stop being angry, to cease feeling wrath, to terminate malicious thoughts, and to stop feeling envious of others. He evidently believes that we are responsible before God through the power of the indwelling spirit to do whatever is necessary to eliminate these affections and emotions from our souls. Do you love like this? I do not. And this is the first command that we see in this passage, and we're going to get back to it um, in a moment, but uh, let me talk about the next command we see in this passage. Peter says, We long for spiritual milk as infants. We're likened like babies in this passage. And if you've ever been around a baby, especially a young baby, what is it that they drink? They just they drink milk, whether it's um, the mother's breast milk or formula. And what does the baby do? You will know when the baby's hungry because they will cry. They're going to scream. They make it known. And Peter says, do you want spiritual nourishment as much as a baby does? And yet, how often are we indifferent to the things that God has given us so that our souls would be nourished? Uh, we can think very, um, just the obvious things, like, do we want to come to church? Do we want to read the Bible? Do we want to pray? Do we want to listen to a sermon or, or whatever it is? Those are kind of the obvious things. And when those things come to mind, think about what distractions go against them. What distractions do you just assume should take up your day? Some of us, we just assume that 
every night we should be watching Netflix or that we should be reading the news. That's an assumption that we make. Some of us assume that we should be doing this hobby or going to the gym or whatever. These are things that are not bad, but they take up our day and they can distract us from what we really need. And notice the strong language here. Do you really, do you know what it's really like to really long for something to the point where it feels like you will die if you don't get it? Peter says, do you long for spiritual milk to the point where it would feel like you would die if you would not get it? There is a story of someone who, um, of someone who, who, who he, he, there was, um, a successful businessman and this young guy, he says to the successful businessman, I want to be as successful as you are. I want to know all your secrets to being successful. I want to be rich and I want to be respected. And this businessman, he took him to the, he says, meet me at the beach in the morning and I will teach you what it means or what you need to do to be successful. So he takes this young man from the beach and he pull, takes him into the water and their, knee, their, their, their whole bodies are in the water. This cold, freezing water. And he says, let me teach you what you need to be successful. And he pushes the man's head down into the water for five seconds. He pulls him back up. And he can barely catch his breath until he, and, and, and the, the older man, he pushes his head down again. And he does this repeatedly and repeatedly until the man, the young man cannot take it any longer. And he asks the old man, what are you doing? How does this have to do, what does this have to do with success in business? And the old man tells him, the only way that you will be successful is if you want success and riches as much as you want oxygen in your lungs. And now you know what it's like to be deprived. And you make it your mission to want that thing more than anything else, as much as you want oxygen in your lungs. Now how much do we want the most important thing in our life? Do we want it as much as we want to breathe? Would it feel like suffocation if we're deprived of it? And Peter says, that's how much you should want spiritual nourishment, this pure spiritual milk. But this is the problem, that we do not desire what we should do you really want to love someone? Do you really want to love others with a love that deprives you, that causes you to suffer, that inconveniences you? And do you really want spiritual milk in a way that will force you to be removed from everything else that matters to you? Do you want to love well and do you want to long for the word? This is what we're called to do. But it is not just really hard, it's impossible. It's impossible. But let me, let's, let's think for a moment about what it would look like if we really could love and long like that. What would our lives look like if we loved and longed in this way? If we love others, it means, number one, that we fulfill our purpose as relational creatures. We are designed to be in community. We're designed to be dependent on other people and for other people to be dependent on us. This is how 
relationships work? And would you like to love others well? If you did, in this church it would look like IGC is a place where we love each other truly and sincerely, where, where suspicion and coldness and bitterness are replaced with grace and a desire to bless each other. What would your life look like if it were marked by love for others? If when people think of you, the first thing that comes to mind is not the zip code that they live in, that you live in, or the clothes that you wear, or the car you drive, or your ethnicity, or your job, or anything else. What if when people thought of you, the first thing that came to mind was, wow, that person loves. That person loves. What if your life were synonymous with love, and what difference would your life make? How much bigger would your heart be if you made space to love others? And what would our lives look like if we longed for spiritual food? What would our lives look like if our souls weren't shriveled by, as G.K. Chesterton would phrase it, tremendous trifles? What if we loved God, God's word? We would know ourselves better. We would know God's mind, this imperishable thing, as Peter describes it. What would it look like? It would look like a love for what the Bible says. It would look like a love for worshiping with other believers. It would look like love to receive the elements during communion, like we're going to do in just a few moments. It would look like caring for others, it would be a love for prayer. It would be a love for hearing the word. And note that I'm not saying that it's a love for religious activity. What I'm saying is this, that there is a faith that if you call yourself a believer, if you are a member of this church, it's a faith that you confess. And it means that if you really long for the spiritual milk, it means that your time is not wasted when you come here on Sundays or when you go to your CG in the middle of the week or when you fellowship with other believers. It means that you do not go through the motions. It means that what you say you believe actually matters in your day-to-day -day life. And it means that you are being transformed from one degree of glory to another when you read the word and you, when you receive the sacraments, when you open yourself up to the work of the Spirit in your life. What it really means, what your life would look like, is it means that your faith would be real, that it is true, that you are a person of sincerity and integrity. It means that your life is one where you breathe in the life that God has for you, and you breathe it out in love and blessing to the world. This is what your life would look like if you really loved others with sincere love, if you really longed for the spiritual milk that Peter speaks of. And a, a side note is... Our church, what we strive to be is faithful to the Word of God. Um, we want our church, regardless of where we meet or who comprises the church, regardless of what our CGs look like or the, the, the liturgy on Sundays, we want our church to be one that preaches the Bible well. It means that we sometimes will say things that are upsetting. I, you know, to, 
As a preacher, let me give, let you in on a secret. Is I probably don't live like 99% of what I speak uh, often because I'm a sinner. And when I when I hear these words, it's a challenge to me. I don't like what the Bible says very often because it makes me uncomfortable. But it's the Word of God, and I have to face it. And we want to be a church where we preach the Word faithfully and clearly, and we want this to be the centerpiece of what we do on Sundays as we present the Word of God. Because when we preach, it is something powerful. It is more dangerous than a nuclear reactor. It is more powerful than the most, ato- most powerful atomic bombs. This is, or nuclear warhead, this is the power that the Word of God, not the preacher, but the Word of God holds. And what would it look like for us as a church if we took the Word of God that seriously? We do not speak good advice or inspirational messages here on Sundays, but we speak of the good news. So this is what love is. This is what longing for spiritual milk is. This is what our lives might look like if we actually lived it out, but it's impossible. So how do we get there? How do we get what Peter is calling us to be? Verse 23 again, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. He goes on, he quotes Isaiah, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And here is Peter speaking about this word that the church received. It is eternal. He says the word of the Lord remains forever. And In Isaiah, when he speaks of the grass and the flower of the grass, he's referring to people. That's why he says, all flesh is like grass. He says, grass is awesome. I love grass. I like, I love greenery. There is a glory to greenery. This is the glory like the flower of the grass, but it will one day wither. It will one day fall. It will one day dry up. It will one day be forgotten. And, he, and, and Peter, he contrasts it. He says, the word of the Lord, it remains forever. And what that means for us is this. We all listen to podcasts and watch YouTube videos and listen to the radio and read books. And we will learn a lot from them. We will learn a lot of good from them. And they will shape us. And they will direct our attention. And they will focus our eyes on something. We can't help it. But those things are bound, they're destined to disappear one day. There's only one thing that we will absorb and read and hear that will last forever. The word of the Lord, and this is what has saved us. And how do we know if we're receiving, if we are receiving the living and abiding word of God? This is how you will know. Hebrews 4. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the hearts. How do you know when you've really received the word of God is when it hurts to hear it. When it feels like God is doing surgery on you, when it feels like he's cutting you up, 
and it's painful, and it's it hurts. And you ask God, why would you do this to me? And God says, because this is the word of God working in you. Because I love you. Because I'm not going to let you be satisfied with anything lesser. This is how God transforms us. How do you get it? By listening to the word. By receiving the word. How do you bolster your faith? It's by listening to the word. Faith comes when we hear the word of God. And then chapter 2, verse 2, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And this is the key to everything. If you want to be changed, you need to taste the goodness of God. And how do we know that God is good to us? The gospel is the good news that cuts us. The gospel is the good news that feeds us. This is what the gospel says. That we all were created to be in relationship with our creator, God. And we, in our sin, we turned away from him. We rebelled against him. And God could have left us to suffer the consequences of that, which is death and damnation and an eternity in hell. But then Jesus sent, God sent Jesus his son, and Jesus lived the perfect life that we could not live, but we should have. And Jesus, he tasted the bitterness of sin. Jesus experienced the blackness of death. Jesus tasted the judgment of God. Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath so that we could taste the goodness of God. Because if we are in Christ, it means that we will no longer be condemned. We will no longer be shamed and guilted for our sins We will be loved by this kind and good God who's given us Jesus, who has loved us sincerely. And you, we need, we, this is what we need to get. It's not that we have a system of beliefs that we hold to, although that is super important. And we, Jesse and I, we, and elders, we have vowed to maintain that. But that's not ultimately what we need. What we ultimately need is not a community. You could probably find a better community elsewhere where you get along with everyone and you can pick and choose who you want to be around. Church is not the place for that if you want to be around people that you love. What we really need is to taste the goodness of God. What we really need is to experience the kindness of Jesus because nothing else will make sense to us unless it's real. Unless it's real. And this is why Peter says, here is something that's living and abiding. There is life in it. There is death in everything else. But the word of God is living and abiding. It's imperishable. Everything else will perish. Everything else will be forgotten. But not the word of God. And if our lives can be marked by the kindness, the goodness of Jesus, then we will have a desire for the spiritual 
milk because you will not want anything else if you desire it, if you've tasted it. And then you can love others with this sincere and brotherly love. This is the good news. The gospel is proof that the Lord is good. And this is the invitation for us to taste it. And in just a moment, we're going to taste and see the goodness of God through the elements. And for those of us who, I, I, I don't, I don't know, I, I don't know what our lives are like really, but I know that we are so often satisfied with things that will kill us. We're so often content with the way things are at this church because we hear a sermon and we think it's neat and then we go back and we forget it. Um, I'm a preacher. I forget my own sermons the next day. I know what it's like. But you will never forget the goodness of Jesus if you've really tasted it. And this is what we do here at this church. May we taste and see that the Lord is good. Will you pray with me? God, we, uh, we don't love you as we should. We are okay with things that are not eternal. But I pray that you would change our affections. I pray that you would give us a desire and a hunger for you, things of you. I pray that you would open our eyes to see Jesus. And I pray that our lives would be marked by the fact that we have, that we are set apart wholly for you, and that we can love well, that we love others well, that we love you well, God. We ask that you make this true of us as individuals and as a church. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our brother. Amen.